Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. If you've got your Bibles, jump to Matthew chapter 28. We're coming right back where we left off. You can put a finger also in Matthew chapter 13, because that's where we're going to sit uh, amongst some other passages. So Matthew 28. And welcome, Lobethal. (laughs) Great to have you guys with us. Love you guys. It's so awesome that we we can do this. So yes, welcome. Everyone's clapping and saying hello. So it's great to have you with us today. We love you guys, and I'm going to do my best to look down the camera at some point during this sermon. Okay, Matthew 28 from verse 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Do you know, over the last um, little bit, maybe 12 months or so, I've had this growing, and I'm going to call it a holy discontent. I've had this growing frustration with myself and a growing frustration with the church at large, not just Hills Baptist, but the church, the body of Christ, saying, why are we not seeing what we see in the Scripture? Has anybody else been there? You know, in the book of Matthew 28 that we just read, Jesus gives his commission. He says, I'm establishing a church, and the purpose of the church is to go and make disciples. In the book of Acts, in the first chapter, he says to them, they're waiting in Jerusalem, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will give you power from on high. For what purpose? To make disciples. It's not to draw a crowd or be a magician or be exciting. It's to make disciples. Holy Spirit's purpose in empowering his people is that we would see disciples made. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says, once the Holy Spirit has come and has filled the early church, it says that daily numbers were being added. Daily. And I'm like, Lord, why are we not seeing that in our day? Why are we not seeing daily? Imagine what it would be like, this gathering. We say this all the time. Church is not about just a Sunday gathering. The church is about making disciples. And this is an important part of the celebration of what God's doing. We come together to celebrate and encourage and build one another up so that we would go and do what he's called us to do of making disciples. So I've had this holy discontent because I'm frustrated because like... I'm like, why am I not in my own life seeing daily people saying, yes, Dave, I want to receive Jesus as Lord. And the next day, yes, Dave, I want to receive Jesus as Lord. Why are we not seeing that? And so it's been burning within me. And a few months ago, this thought came to me as I was praying and thinking about uh, all of this stuff. And the thought came to me, Ephesians chapter four, which talks about, the work, like what is the purpose of leadership? And it says to equip the saints for works of ministry. 
And an awfully convicting feeling came upon me (laughs) that if my job is to equip the saints for works of ministry and we're not seeing the saints going out and making disciples, then it's a bit like when I tried to teach biomechanics to my year 12s a few years ago and I tried a new technique And a few weeks later, I had a test and every single one of them failed. (laughs) And I said, what did you, what went on? And they said, you didn't teach us. And I was like, yes, I did. I tried it this way. And they said, yeah, but you didn't actually teach us anything. So we had to go back and do the whole thing again. And I'm like, that is our job, to equip the saints. And so I was thinking then around, how do we equip the saints? How do we prepare every single person here to go out and make disciples. And another thought came to mind. It was simply this. The job that we, not just me, every single one of us have is to equip everyone to lead someone to Jesus. Equip everyone to lead someone to Jesus. And imagine if just every year, what would it look like if every year all of us had the privilege and the joy of leading one person to Jesus? Do you know what would happen? Exponential kingdom expansion across the Adelaide Hills. But in order to do that, we need training, we need equipping, we need that sense of, I know how to go and do this. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but what are the tools? Because I think, what are the things that hinder us? What are the things that get in the way? And I think a big part of it, there's this spiritual element where there's this fear, right? Who's with me? You know, there's fear. When, when, we, uh, when we landed, we recently traveled overseas and when we landed in Paris, we uh, had all of our baggage, we had three children and we had to get to our accommodation. But in order to get to our accommodation, we had to catch uh, a train. And now in hindsight, we would have caught a taxi because it would have cost more money, but it would have been a lot less stressful. So we get on the train, we had to catch the train into Paris Central and we had to catch another train from there out. But it turns out that the train system from Paris, the line that we had to catch, something had happened, which was quite tragic, but it had blocked everything up. So the trains weren't running. So it was chaos. There are people everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I literally mean everywhere. People everywhere. Joe and I there, all of our luggage. We haven't slept in a long time. We have three children who haven't slept in a long time. And we're standing in Paris thinking, what are we gonna do? We get onto a train. Someone, there's people everywhere. Someone wearing the train stuff walks in, says something in a language we don't know. Everyone gets off of the train. So we're left standing there going, what's happening? (laughs) What are we doing? So eventually we're like, well, everyone else got off. We better get off. And then we found two people who spoke English, two American people who were going in the same direction. So we asked them, what's going on? They sort of filled us in. So we started following them to a different train that we had to get on to then get to another station to get off of that, to get on another train so we could get to where we had to go. And as we got there and we hopped on... uh, the, the station where we had to go to, these American people were a bit further ahead of us because it was very, very busy. They walk onto the train. Our children see them walk onto the train and they sprint. And if you've ever been to Paris, it's not like here where you can sort of get on the train, hold the doors open and wait because the train doors shut and then there's these screen doors which shut, which stop anyone from going on the tracks. So the children on the train, I'm like, 
I bolt onto the train, try and hold the doors open, the bag, like it's closed on my bag and Joe's back here standing there watching the doors shut. I've got all the luggage, I've got the passports, I've got the money, she's standing there. Eventually the doors close, the screen doors shut, we're on the train and she's on the platform. (laughs) It was stressful. (laughs) Eventually I like, you know, we went up, got off, came back, got there, she waited like kids if you're ever... Lost from mum and dad, stay exactly where you are. Don't go anywhere. We'll come back and we'll find you. And that's what we did. So it all worked out. But the thing is, it was like this overwhelming, intimidating project, mission to get to where we had to get to because we didn't have the language. We were carrying a whole heap of baggage. And it was just this unfamiliar territory. And ultimately it was like, How do we move forward in this place? And I think sometimes we're a bit like that with the commission of God. Like, I don't have the language. Like, I don't know if I meet someone who doesn't know Jesus, what do I even say? Where do I even begin? Plus, I've got all this baggage, yeah, from life. Like, I'm I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm not someone who, like, I've got my own stuff. I'm just trying to get by every day myself. I don't really have what it takes to be able to share Jesus with someone else. And so it's easier for us just to stay in our comfort zone than take a leap because really we're afraid that, what if I miss the train? Like what if things go wrong? What if I lose a friend? What if I make a fool out of myself? What if, what if, what if? So, My heart for us is over the next however many years it takes that we would be equipped with the language, we would understand that Jesus has taken all of the baggage and that he is the one who makes a way in the wilderness, that he is the way, the truth and the life. And our job is, as I said last week, what faithful obedience. Come on, church faithful obedience to a faithful God. That yes, it's scary. Do you know what? There are people who who are global evangelists who share the gospel every single day with people all over the world in all different cultures and they will say to you, it never gets easier. It is always scary. It is always a risk. There is always fear. But in faithful obedience, God builds his church that we would be equipped to take that step. And who knows what we would see. Maybe, as I said last week, maybe the next census would declare, and maybe even the papers might just write about it, rather than the headline being the church is dying, it would say the church is on the move in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. Amen. Not by might, not by strength, but by His Spirit by faithful obedience to a faithful God. So I've been thinking about all of this. How do we move forward? How do we equip the saints for work and ministry? I was sitting with a friend a couple of months ago and I was talking about this, this discipleship idea and talking about uh, our, our cycle of a disciple. You know, if you've been around here, we talk about a disciple is not a linear journey. It's a cyclical thing of belonging, believing, becoming and building. And I was sharing this and he says to me, he goes, oh, Dave, that sounds like the four fields. I was like, what? He goes, the four fields. And I thought this, you know, what we've come up with is this revolutionary idea. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe I'll write a book about it and really like empower the church. And 
He goes, no, that's just the four fields, what you're talking about. I'm like, I've never heard of the four fields. What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, it's being used like all over the world. And God, we're seeing these incredible things, like millions of people being baptised in the faith in Jesus by as we've equipped the saints. People who have been saved for three weeks are, are, are simply like catching the heart of Jesus and going out and making disciples. And so we sat and we, we started to talk through this and explore this and it it comes out of Matthew chapter 13. And as we look at this, you're gonna see, you're gonna see that this is our belonging, believing, becoming and building just with some slightly different language. You ready? Ready, Lobethal? Ready? Mount Barker for done? Great. Matthew 13, one to nine, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's exponential growth. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus goes on, the disciples say, what the heck are you talking about? And he goes on to explain that parable. I'll let you read that a little bit later. But he's talking about the seed being the word of God. And that we go out. He has entrusted this good news, this seed. And I actually wanted to buy a seed for everyone, but then I couldn't justify spending thousands of dollars on little packets of seeds for one sermon. Can't get that past the treasurer. So (laughs) picture having that seed in your hand, which is the word of God. He says, go and go and scatter seed. And so they've come up with this, this concept, this belonging, believing, becoming building concept called the four fields or the five parts. And Luke, can we chuck that, the image up? And it begins with entry. This idea that there are four fields. And we, as the church, we're called to enter vacant fields. We're called to enter empty fields. Fields that are filled with people who do not know the Lord. That there's no, the seed isn't there. And so we're called to, to enter that field. And as we enter the first field, what does the sower do? He comes, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So the second field is we step in and we begin to sow the seed of the gospel. That that seed, we, we share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, it's like seed being scattered. And it says he sowed it generously. Yeah? It's not like one, one seed there, one seed there. No, just go and scatter the gospel everywhere. Scatter the gospel everywhere, not worrying whether or not this person might receive it, might not receive it. No, we've got to scatter the gospel seed. And so they go and scatter the gospel seed. And then what happened, let's keep that, keep that up, or is it just broken on us? It's up, beautiful. And then after the gospel, the idea, so we enter the field, we sow the gospel seed, the good news, and then we begin to disciple. What happens is, is the seed starts to sprout. And you don't know where, you don't know why, you don't know how. And this is that whole idea that some rose up on the path and the birds ate it, some on rocky places, some on shallow soil, but some lands on good soil. 
So we sow that, that seed, we scatter it, and it will begin to grow. We don't know where, but it will. And our job as the church there is to tend it, to water it, to take care of it, to invest in it, see where it grows and invest in that growth. And then from there, they talk about the fourth field, which is that fourth field of the harvest, the gathering. As the seed grows, we gather that harvest together, which is that idea of gathering in a church, gathering together, encouraging one another and going and making more disciples. They say, so this all is reproduced as we focus on raising up leaders, multiplication, building more and more so that others will go and do the same. So we don't have this heart that it's, only one or two or a few special people can make disciples. No, we are the church, amen? And therefore, Ephesians 4, we are all ministers. Every person has been uniquely placed, uniquely positioned, uniquely gifted and uniquely called to make disciples in the field that God has put you in. We all have an empty field. Amen? Every one of us has an empty field. Every one of us has a call from God. Every one of us has the seed, the Word of God, and every one of us is empowered by the Holy Spirit to faithfully obey, to scatter that seed, to love people, and to see the kingdom of God, to see the harvest come in. And you can see it kind of mirrors that whole idea of what we talk about, the belonging, believing, becoming, and building, yeah? Yeah? That we create these environments of belonging. We, we enter into environments where we belong, where, where people know regardless of faith, whatever, we actually have a Christian presence. We have a gospel-centred presence of loving people. And then the seed is so believing that people would come to know Jesus. And then that whole idea of becoming, that we're gonna be discipled and learn more and more about who Jesus has called us to be. And then we would build the kingdom by the raising up of leaders and the going out into all the world, church planning, etc. Does that make sense? So here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at this a little bit. Today, in the time that we have, we're going to look at this first field, entry. And the next week, we'll look at the second field and we'll work our way around it. But today, I want to look at how do we enter? Like, let's get really, really practical. Is that all right? Let's get really practical. How do we enter a field? How do I even identify what that field is? How do we begin this? For each and every one of us, what tool can we take with us this very week so that tomorrow I don't just see my workplace as my workplace, but I see my workplace as an empty field. I don't just see my school as a school, but I see my school as an empty field. I don't just see my university as a university. I see it as an Somebody say it loud. I don't see my football club as a football club. I see it as an. I don't see my knitting club as a knitting club. I see it as an. Everywhere God has positioned us, right where we are, there is an empty field. And it is ripe for the sowing of the gospel, for the tending of the seed and the harvest to bring in. Oh, what joy it would be. Imagine, I just have this, I cannot wait to see the lost being saved and people getting baptised and lives being radically transformed, families being transformed, churches being planted. Oh, it's gonna be so good. 
as we catch the heart of the gospel. So how do we enter the field? You ready? Let's look at Jesus' model. Because what we've got to understand with the parable of the sower here, Jesus is actually teaching them the very model that he lived out. This this is a parable, but it's not just an off-the-cuff thing. This is, when you examine Jesus' life, this is literally what he did. He He entered the empty field. He sowed the gospel. He discipled. And now he's established his church to bring in the harvest. And he's doing it through us. Yeah? This is his, his pattern. He's saying, follow me. This is what I do. So how do, we, how do we enter the empty field? What does he do first? And the first thing, the first, the most crucial, the most vital thing we can do, and you've heard me say it before, is prayer. Before Jesus did anything in his ministry, what did he do? He was led into the desert, to the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting. It says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. It said he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer. Prayer prepares the field. It is through prayer that God begins to dig things up. D.L. Moody Uh, A great evangelist once said that every great move of God can be traced first to a kneeling figure. Every great move of God can be traced first to a kneeling figure. Jesus prays. He prays and he prays and he invites us to pray. He prayed so much and so differently from all the other religious people that the disciples knew that they said to him, hey, teach us how to pray. And he gave him the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. It's not, and we've turned that into a a liturgy. But he's actually saying, hey, I want, like, what is prayer? Prayer begins with worship. Let's get our eyes off of our own selves and our own situation and our own circumstance. Let's stop navel gazing because we love to do that as humans. And I'm putting my hand up. I'm just, I'm like everybody else. And let's get our eyes on Him. And why do we need to do that? Because it humbles us and it makes us realise how big God is. How amazing He is. His heart for the lost, His heart for the broken, His heart for the world. He came to seek and save the lost. That's the promise of Luke 19. He didn't just come just so we could have a little, you know, just a few. He came to seek and save the lost. And so He says, like, pray, worship Him, get His heart, and then pray for the needs. Seek forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness. Then pray for strength for the mission and go out praising Him. That we would be a praying people, know that it's as we pray. 2 Chronicles 7.14, it's a beautiful verse. What does it say? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I might... Oh, it says will. I think sometimes we we think it says might. (laughs) It's like, 
we pr- this whole idea of praying for revival. Lord, would you bring revival? God wants to bring revival. <laughs> but He's asking His church to be faithfully obedient and to begin with prayer. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Amen? How many of you know our land needs healing? How many of you know my, our own lives need healing in Jesus' Name? I need less of me and more of Him. I need to die to myself and I need Him to be all in all that I just might truly capture picture of His wonder. And when we, when we, we do that, then we can't help but go into the field. I can't help but go into the empty field. I want someone to know this Jesus who's taken a wretch like me and set me free. Begins with prayer. And do you know what? I want you to understand that when people pray, God prepares the way. You can write that down. When people pray, God prepares the way. I have so many stories that I want to share and I don't want to share them all at once, but... We heard this incredible story when we were over in in Cairo of a guy, and I'm going to call him Bob. That's not his name, but for safety reasons, I'm going to call him Bob. And um, Bob came to faith out of Islam, and that's a big deal. And so he was sort of removed from his family, and a whole lot of things went down. And uh, Bob shared the gospel with his sister, and she sort of said no, but he was praying for his family. And then one night, his sister had a dream. And the dream that she had was that a man in white came to her, uh, was in the room, and her brother, this guy, Bob, was there. And the man in white had removed Bob's filthy clothes and put on clean clothes. So she had this dream. She woke up and uh, the next morning, I think she was having breakfast with her son, was she? Or something like that. Her son comes in. She starts, she's I had a dream about Uncle Bob. And she starts telling him this dream. And he says, stop. I had the exact same dream last night. Identical. (laughs) And they're like, we better ring Uncle Bob (laughs) and figure out what this is. So they say, hey, we had this dream. A man in white came and he took off your filthy clothes and he gave you new clothes. And Bob's like, well, let me tell you what that's about. So he explains the gospel. He explains this whole idea that uh, the filthy rags is, is our sinfulness and that it doesn't matter, no matter what righteous works we do, no matter how much we strive, no matter how perfect we are, we can never be like God. And that the Bible says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. But Jesus has come to give you clean clothes He's come to clothe you in His righteousness that you can be right before a holy God and know Him and have salvation and eternity with Him. You can have relationship with the living God. He explains this to his sister and his nephew. His sister became extremely unwell, didn't receive Jesus straight away. Became, was, I think it was cancer, but she was really unwell and was on her deathbed and she passed away. But she gave, oh, I'm going to cry. She, she told her son to tell Bob. Before she died, she said, please tell Bob, I have changed my clothes. Oh. 
It wasn't Bob's strategy. It wasn't his charisma. It wasn't his intellect. It was that he was on his knees praying and the spirit went before and prepared the way and prepared them to receive the gospel. How awesome. We enter the empty field firstly with prayer. Secondly, what does Jesus do? How does he enter the empty field? How does he begin this ministry? It's just while on his way. Do you know, over and over and over again in the scriptures, it says, while Jesus was on his way to, while Jesus was doing this, this happened. And I think we've got to recapture that heart a little bit. As we are on our way, there's that old saying that life is what happens to you while you're making plans to do something else. Well, I think evangelism is what happens to us as we're on our way somewhere else. It's this openness and this this awareness of what's going on as we're on our way. Who knows what doors God will open up? We're at the shops the other day at uh, Mount Barker Foodland, standing there's this beautiful old lady. uh, She was buying some cheese and some crackers. And what she wanted was this beautiful hunk of Jarlsberg cheese to go on a lovely plain salt succotar. That was the goal. And she, she had in her hand some tandoori succotars. And so she said to the, the shopkeeper, these two teenage girls, she's like, what do you think? Will this succotar ruin the cheese? <laughs> and the, the, the girl, uh, the, the, the young lady at the, what's it called, at the counter, she was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure. And they got into about a two or three minute conversation. Joe and I are waiting behind this beautiful, dear old lady. And they're talking around. The, the, the lady brings over another colleague that she, do you think this succotar's going to ruin the Charlesburg cheese? At which point I then said, I think it will. <laughs> and I said, you want the cheese to be the hero of the dish and the tandoori succotar's going to completely distort the flavour of the Charlesburg cheese. What you want is a different cracker. And she was like, well, yes, I think that is what I want. <laughs> I was like, well, what are we going to do about it? She goes, well, I, don't, there's no, I couldn't find him. I'm like, come on, let's go. So we went for a walk. We went down the aisle and we found a different brand cracker that was exactly the same, right? So in that like, <laughs> random story, I know, the point is that while we were on our way to purchase something, I could have stood there and just been quiet and been like, can you please hurry up? We're on our way to somewhere else. But in that moment, just by going, hey, there's an opportunity here to have a conversation, to love someone and who knows what could come from it. As she left, we said, God bless you. I don't know what's gonna come from that. My hope and prayer is she's like, oh, those two lovely, maybe not young anymore, (laughs) younger than middle-aged folk. There was something different. Why did they go to those? You know what I mean? Like, While we're on our way, you never know the opportunity. Let's have open eyes as we're on our way to someone else because just maybe the gospel could come through Jarlsberg cheese and a succotar, which became a a succotar. A fantastic cracker is what it became in the end. A little bit of a plug. Where are you is the point. Where Where has God put us? Where are we every day? Where do you go to work every day? Who do you walk past every day? Chances are you're there for a reason. Chances are a simple conversation could open the door to a gospel seed. Why run away? Number three, I'm gonna close in a second, 
is this. Where does Jesus go? So while he's on his way, how else does he empty the field? In the synagogue. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Luke 4, it's the same thing. Over and over again, Jesus goes and partners with religious institutions that are already there. Friends, there are little Christian bodies in fields all over the world. It is not just about us growing Hills Baptist Church. That is nonsense. It is about us partnering with, well, it is about the Spirit of God moving through His people for the work of the kingdom. So we partner with things like Kairos. We partner with these these organisations that are wherever, whatever synagogue we can get in to begin to sow, whatever doors will open. Let's not be a church that's just about us. Let's be a church that's about the kingdom of God. It is His church and it is the church. And that's what we're called to. We enter the empty field. What churches are in the area? What Christians are already in a school? That you, what, are there Christians in a footy club who you can meet with and pray with? Are they, what's already there? Because Jesus goes into those synagogues and He begins to teach and in so doing, He begins to minister. And the last one in the band, you can come up and we'll close is this whole idea of finding people of peace. Go to Luke chapter four. Sorry, Luke chapter 10. Prayer, while on his way, in the synagogues, and the people of peace. Luke 10, one to six. Jesus talked about the cost of following him. And in chapter 10 says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go, uh, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, First say, peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. A person of peace, it's this whole idea that we actually actively look, we seek. And as we we start a conversation, there will be people who are soft to the gospel. Yeah? And it could be as simple as, like I said to that dear old lady, you know, God bless you. And if she'd turned around and been like, God bless you, there's an opening. There's some, like, the world is full of people who God has gone ahead of us and is preparing the heart. People of peace. There are some people who, it doesn't matter what you say, they've got the iron shield up. It doesn't mean we don't share the gospel, we do, but some, some seed's gonna fall on rocky ground, some seed's gonna fall on shallow soil. Some seeds got to fall on good soil. And there, are, there is a lot more good soil out there than we give credit for. There are people of peace. There are people who are hungry. There are people who have actually in the Adelaide Hills have never heard about Jesus ever. Did you know that? There are people who have grown up, their parents don't know about Jesus. Their grandparents don't know about Jesus. We are back in a pre-Christian context, which is so exciting because the barriers aren't there. They're open, there's people of peace waiting for the gospel seed. 
So let's search for people of peace. Let's actively look. Let's look for little doors where we can say, hey, what do you think about what's going on in the world at the moment? Have you ever heard about a Messiah? We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but there's so many little things we can do as we search for those people of peace, the people God is already working in. How do we enter an empty field? It begins with prayer. Let's be a church that prays, 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 prays. Let's have our eyes open to where we already are as we are going. Let's partner with organisations. Let's be the church. Let's connect with local church. Let's worship together. Let's inspire one another to go and fulfil the mission. And let's actively look for people of peace. And friends... God will build his church. Yeah? Do you believe that promise? Do you? I believe that promise. When he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, he meant it. He meant it. Right now in our world, we are seeing the church explode throughout Asia. Africa Africa has gone from something like 300 million Christians to 600 million in the space of 3 years. The gospel's exploding. God still loves the West. God wants to save the West. He is on the move and he's saying who will go for me? Whom shall I send? I know it's a bit scary. I know it's out of our comfort zone, but I didn't call you to a comfort zone. I called you to a cross. I died because the reward, eternity. Who will go for me? I have found myself being so convicted these last couple of months just saying, Lord, here I am. Sam, I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to be a church that's on about maintenance. I want to be a person and a church that's on about the mission of God. And we've had maintenance work to do. We have. When you go through a process we've been through, you need to do that. But the purpose of the church is not just to maintain the church. The purpose of the church is to be on about the mission of the kingdom. And it's time. It's time to get on with it. Who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Because behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. So I want to pray for us. I want to commission us. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what? Dagnamit, yes. Lord, it's time. Have me. Have all of me. Every part of me. Use me whatever way you want. If that means I share the gospel with one person, but I'm open, whatever it is, just have me. Have me wholeheartedly. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and we're going to pray together. If you're saying, Lord, I'm all in, here I am.
And if you're here and you've never actually met Jesus or made that confession of faith, but you're like, this Jesus sounds pretty good. You can stand too and we'll pray together. Let's just take a moment and look around for a second, friends. We're in it together. That's why we have the gathering, because we're in it together. We encourage one another, we build one another up in the most holy faith. Father God, we adore you. I just am so grateful for the amazing work you've done. This is such an honour to be able to stand here across Lobethal, across Mount Barker, Verdun, standing together to say, Lord, here we are, I'm all in. All in for you. And Lord, like King Jehoshaphat, who said, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you and you brought about the victory. That's where we are, Lord. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have your way. Bring in the harvest, Lord. We pray for a mighty harvest of souls that the blind would see, that the lost would be found. the name of Jesus would be proclaimed throughout the hills and that lives would be transformed for the glory of God. Here we are, Lord. We're not much. (laughs) Uh, We're just the dust of the earth. Jars of clay. Put your treasure in us that it might shine bright through all the cracks, through all the broken bits, that the light would shine and radiate into the darkness. Have your way. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We honour you. And oh, Lord, we're excited. We're excited about all that is to come. Build your kingdom. We pray in the precious name of Jesus and all the saints said, Amen. When God moves, we praise. That's how we finish. So we're going to praise Him. We're going to lift His name up. And I want to encourage you as we leave this place, leave connecting with someone, pray with someone, encourage someone, say, hey, this week, who is it? Who's that person of peace that you already know is in your life? Who are you going to share with? And let's walk together. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.